Jeff Ogilvy survives Wingfoot. Now the moment Aaron Badley has waited. Curry Webb is the five-time Australian Open champion. Golf at its best by one of the best in golf, Peter Thompson. Stand in front of a crowd like this today and win the PGA Championship is pretty special. He's done it at last. Greg Norman. Gets his name on the Stonehaven Cup. Leash been to 11 under. Now we've got a new leader, kids. Here it is, Adam Scott. A life changer. Coming up next, you have unrestricted access to golf across Australia and the world. Thanks to Golf Australia, we're going inside the ropes. G'day everybody, welcome to Inside the Ropes episode 27. Early in the week in a slightly abbreviated version of Inside the Ropes with the Australian Open likely, well not likely, certain to dominate our agenda later in the week. All the uh, all the important people are already up in Sydney. Alison Whitaker and I will be going up there a little bit later. <laughs> but they're just, laying the, they're just laying the foundations for you and I to just swan in and enjoy the fruits of their labours later in the week. Oh, good to see you. Yeah, I'm hoping for a really long list of bullet points that they just hand me when we get <laughs> up there later this week. I so, can't wait. So you're part of the seven, for people who are tuning in, you're going to be part of the Channel 7 commentary team, which is great. I am. I'm going to be on course this year, which is going to be really fun because uh, I actually have never been on course with the guys. So I'm really excited to get out there yeah. and get in the mix and, uh, and watch it all unfold. Will we get to hear any of your dolls? I know we don't want to overload you here, but AO Radio, <laughs> will we, the Genesis AO Radio, will we hear any? Any of your dulcet tones with us at any stage? With any luck, hopefully. Yeah, in other words, we've no got, chance. We've got five hours, I think, on air each day, so I'm looking forward to just digging my heels in there. But hopefully, um, I'd love to come and have a chat with you guys any chance I can get. You know that. Of course, of course. So we're going to um, have a bit of a preview of the Australian Open on the way through today. Uh, we'll get our favourite um, Australian Open memories. I'm sure you lot listening out there have got plenty of those. Uh, Hazy will join us. He's been out with, as we speak to you, it's quarter to 11 on Monday morning. As we record the podcast, Hazy's been out with Jason Day this morning. So we'll get the observations from Hazy on the ground up there. We'll hear from Trevor Hurden about the setup of the course as well. And our favourite Australian Open memories before we get to the end of the show today. But we've got the business at hand is what's happened overnight our time and across the last four days all over the place. And there's been a couple of major tour championships, the men's and the women's. We touched on it last week, the degree of possibilities and permutations when it came to the conclusion of the women's tour this year. How difficult was it following that this morning? <laughs> I nearly offered someone a pony this morning if they could find out who was world number one on the women's <laughs> right. side. It was just that it's kind of year and, a, and, a, and an incredible crescendo really to what's been a, a brilliant year on, of golf on the women's side in 2017. It's just you've needed the calculator out for the last five or six weeks, to be honest with you, to work out who's getting all the awards. So there's so many you know end of season categories that you know scoring average, putting average, money. Uh, globe, the whole thing. Uh, at the end of it, Araya Janatagan wins the final tour event of the the tour championship, but she doesn't. She, she doesn't top the tree in any other category. Am I right in saying that? Yeah, no. I mean, area. She birdied the last two holes to to win, but it was such a ridiculous final day. Lexi Thompson had essentially uh, probably one of one and a half foot putt to win in theory, the event at yep, the time. Yep. Um, who knows what would have happened 
had she made the putt or missed it. It's hard to know how the following groups would have reacted to her doing that. But um, essentially, she had a putt for everything. Right. For, for the world. Right. She would have won the world if she held the putt. <laughs> <laughs> She's got enough. She doesn't need the world. She got plenty. So she she doesn't make that putt, which means Chitanagan wins the tournament. In terms of the two big ones, I suppose, are the old school order of merit, who, who in, at the end of the day ends up winning the money, and who was crowned at the end of the year the number one player on planet Earth. Yeah, and it's been... It's been a joke this year. Um, Mike Wan must just be absolutely living the dream, um, the commissioner of the LPGA, because he pre- he actually predicted this three, two or three years ago. He said, we've got a big three, but I think in two or three years we're going to have a big six or yeah. a big eight. And I think that number is going to keep continuing to get better. But, <laughs> yeah, so at the end of the day, mm. we had to sit down and write down who had actually won everything. And I felt really bad for the statisticians this morning. As you were trying was- to work it out here, as we said, how many tabs did you have open on your computer? trying to work it all out. I've currently got about 12. Right, there you go. Yeah, yeah right and, um, and I've written nothing down, so right. <laughs> it's going to test my memory. But yeah, a rookie ended up winning the money list, Sun yep. Kuhn Park. Um, she won seven times on the KLPGA last year. Yep. She has a ridiculous golf swing and she won the US Open. She's the fastest player ever to get to $2 million in earnings in a year. And bear in mind, we've had phenoms come through women's golf for yep. the last five or six years. Spot. We've had Lydia Coes, we've had Lexi Thompson's and for her to be able to trump those is a, an indicator of how talented she is. But she also ended up tying for the first ever time the Rolex Player of the Year with So Yon Yu, who we've had on the yep. show, of course, yep. a friend of ours. And so they ended up tying, which has never been done before. Um, and then obviously Lexi ended up missing the putt to, to take out the CMA group to a championship but ended up winning uh, the race to the CME Globe and ended up getting that million-dollar bonus yeah, as yeah. well. And then who else do we have in the mix? Uh, oh, that's right, Shan Chan Fung. There She's go, still there, world she's number the one. There you go. So that's, that, was the last, that was the last cab off the rank. Exactly. Now, in terms of this year as a – it's not a set-up year or a launching pad because we've been seeing the growth of some of these players. Have been, has been, they've been in front of us for quite some time as new players are kind of introducing themselves into the mix. But in terms of 2017, drawing a line through that and what we've got to look forward to in the women's game for the next three or four years, the quality of golf that these women are playing, discuss that. And in terms of the competitiveness now and the depth of fields in women's golf, what have we got to look forward to in the next five years? There's been a a definite shift in trend and we're seeing more younger players turn pro earlier. When I was... um, going through amateur golf and and playing professional. I've played golf with genuinely half the girls on the LPGA because I went through the college system. And that was what you did, say, eight years ago. Everyone went through that college system. Now it's about 50-50 of the best players in the world. Um, It's just what's happening at the moment. It might shift back toward um, more university golf later on. But that's why you're seeing the Brooke Hendersons, Lydia's. um, Nellie Corder is another one that is going to end up winning on tour. I have no doubt about that. Um, Amongst other players coming in from Europe and Asia as well. But essentially, everyone's just jumped on the bandwagon and they've got truckloads of talent. So if 2017 is any indicator of where women's golf is at, if it keeps growing at this exponential rate, um, it'll end up catching up with men's golf, which Mm. is kind of cool when you think about the fact that women didn't play 
professional golf until much, much later. Mm, mm. Um, so the progression is naturally different anyway. But I, I'm excited. I'm exhausted after yeah, 2017 because yeah, yeah. it's been a, a massive year just trying to keep track of everything. Yep. So give me – I'll fire the four big Australians who have played on the LPGA Tour for much of the year. Just give me a snapshot of how you've seen their seasons play. Don't, don't have to give me you know exact data, but just a sense for how their seasons have been. Um, Catherine Hull-Kirk, I mean – remarkable, really, where she's come from. At the end of this season, how do you see her place going forward? I think she, obviously, she she picked up a win um, at the at Thornbury Creek earlier this year, which was a surprise to a lot of people mm-hmm. at the time because she felt like, she said that she felt like she'd been doing the right things, but you can do the right things for years. Like, everyone on the LPGA in particular were the best in their country. They were the best in their class. They were the best in their age bracket. And the majority of them were phenoms in their own, in their own right. Mm-hmm. So when you have all of those people coming in, and then you work out, okay, I'm not winning everything. How do I be okay with coming twentieth or fortieth or earning a living that way? Um, it's so easy to just get lost mm. amongst it all. And and it's an absolute credit to Cat that she she ended up breaking through. And she's an incredible golfer. She always has been. She was part of the winning World Cup team with Lindsay Wright and, and Vicky Yule. And, um, and that was a real springboard for Australian golf when yep. we saw her do that. And she's been an inspiration to a lot. But she actually um, picked up what is essentially uh, the the inspiration award and the and the sportsmanship award for the LPGA um, this year as well. She, she got a nice little trophy at the Rolex Awards the other night, and uh, and rightly so. She's the kind of girl, and um, you know, Amy Olson, one of her fellow players, used to be Amy Anderson, said that I've seen her drop her own clubs on the range and go and help someone else. So she's actually yeah, interrupted, awesome? you know, yeah. her own focus, and um, and to be able to do that and be such a well-rounded person while you're in professional sports, difficult. Yeah, she's relevant again in terms of the women's game, which is a credit to her. Sarah Jane Smith. It, it, Assess the year that she's had, and I'll ask you this question that you can take on it. Has she got the next gear? Can she end up being a go from being on the fringe of contending often to being a winner on this tour, do you think? I think it'll all depend on the first win for Sarah, realistically. Um, She shot, I think, 66-69 the first two rounds this week, Mm. was really in contention at the biggest event of the year, and didn't finish. She she didn't play well on the weekend and she'll be the first person to say that. She finished with 74-75 and just couldn't finish it off. And she's done that time and time again. She She's one of those girls that throws out a 65 or, or better sometimes, um, an incredible talent, but just hasn't quite pulled it all together. But I think a lot of that is a confidence thing for her. Yeah. So um, she was the best player in Australia when she turned pro by a, by a mile. And everyone, once she got out there, she's one of those people that kind of got a little bit lost in the washing machine that is the LPGA and, and professional sport at that level, which, mm. um, yeah, it's good to see her playing well and um, I look forward to ho- hopefully seeing her breakthrough next year. Minji Lee, obviously another learning curve for her in terms of managing her time seemingly is one of the big issues that she's had to contend with in the back half of this season. She's re- she'd referenced the fact that she's felt you know tired towards the, the back end of the season. That, that will be another significant learning curve for her, I imagine. I, I think I'm actually quite surprised that Minji didn't win this year. She's an incredible mm. player um, and her game's been in a really good spot for quite a while in, in regards to her ball striking, in regard to pretty much the formula for a lot of professional golf. And we don't really talk about it, but 
if your ball striking's okay, your putting's allowed to be streaky because when you hit a good streak, you win. Mm. And, you know, the, the players like So Yon Yu and Shan Chan Fung are two really, and Lexi actually, are two really good examples, three really good examples of that, that their ball striking's so solid and their fundamentals within their golf swing, their, their short game are really sound that when they start making birdie parts and it starts mm. snowballing, then they, they play really well. But I think Minji had, I want to say, 10 or 11 top 10s this year without winning, and that's kind of the trend this year. <laughs> a, lot of play, a lot of players have done the same thing. Inji Chun um, from South Korea had five runner-up finishes, I think, this year, and another three or four top five finishes. But it, it's just... It's hard to win. Yeah. Well, it's getting, getting, hard, and getting harder. Well, this will go back to the point we made right off the top about the depth of talent. You mentioned the big three become the big six, and who knows how many big ones there are going to be you know, in the coming years. I mean, that number will probably expand. It's going to get harder to win these, tour- these tournaments. I, I genuinely wish we got to see more golf from Asia. Uh, it, I think it's a mm. real flaw in the fact that there's been a, a bit of a stigma involved in the last, say, 10 years in terms of the Asian players coming to the LPGA in particular. And I really fight that because these, the majority of these players give so much to the game and they're, they're so respectful to the fact that they've come from a really different culture, but they still want to try and assimilate as much as they can within their own culture to you know, the Western way of uh, playing it's a, golf. Yep, yep. It's, it's such a tricky equation. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I genuinely respect... Players like Soyon and Shan Chan Fung, God, give me a, give me a hundred Shan Chans. She is such a legend. Yeah, you guys obviously love her. Yeah. <laughs> just, you, well, I saw, I saw you would stuff. love her. Yeah, Anyone yeah, at home yeah. would love her. Yeah. She's just that kind of character. So, um, I, you know, it's a great for her to finish on the top of the world rankings um, at the end of the season. And, you know, hopefully she's competitive throughout. She's usually pretty slow in the early parts of the season. It <laughs> right. takes a while to warm up. Yeah. But, um, no, it'll be great to start the year with her up there. And just a thought on Sue O's. You didn't play the, to a championship final, but um, the year that she's had? Sue is getting to where she needs to be. Um, realistically, I think her working with Cam McCormick now is a really good move because he's he's convinced her that she actually has the game mm. to play on the LPG. And I think she really got away from that in in previous years and, and maybe a little bit of, uh, I'm not going to say questionable, <laughs> direction coaching-wise. Um, I'm really looking forward to seeing her just become herself again on the golf course because I think she kind of moved away from that. But she, she's in incredible a good, talent. She's in a good stable now. Like She's in a really good stable. It'll be interesting to see Cameron McCormack on the bag of Jordan Spieth this week up at the Australian. So that's something that we'll talk to Hazy about uh, when he joins us um, as well. Any final words on the women's before we get through some other news? Um, a couple of really good winners on the Ladies European Tour. Um, so we've had two back-to-back French rookies actually win in the last two events in um, in India, Camille uh, Chevalier and Celine Boudier, who was also um, a Duke grad this past week, won no one, in no one China. Is, no one is she's getting a mention. Exactly. Yep. Um, but Aditi Ashok also won in Abu Dhabi, so it's great to see her pick up her third title and she is going to do wonders for the game when everyone catches on in India. Once right. they realise how good she is, they'll jump on the bandwagon. Has India but... had a great female player yet? No. No, okay. They've yeah. had some professional players, but nothing, not, nothing, not a... no one winning three times on a major Western tour. Yeah, no. yeah that'll be special. Men's side, uh, we get the race to Dubai, concludes the season on the European tour. We went in with three live possibilities to win it. Really, at the end of it, it whittled down to Rose and Fleetwood, despite what Sergio did in the final round. He lit it up in the across the first five or six holes, birdieing. I think he birdied his first five. From memory, watching it last night, uh, in the end, 
he shot 65. Rose shoots 70. Fleetwood shoots 74. Three over the back nine. But it was good enough for Tommy to prevail, win his first order of merit on the European Tour and get the credit, the recognition that he deserves in terms of the title. He's been, from the start of the year through to the end, probably as consistent um, a contender at the upper echelons of European Tour events. And he's now established himself well and truly as one of the really fine players, not only on the European Tour, but I think in a global nature. Oh, completely. And, you know, there was such a big build-up for Tommy going into this week. And for someone, I think he's only 26 years old, mm. um, he's he was excited for it. But, you know, he ended up throwing a 73 in the first round and then 65, 65, 71 to finish. And, you know, it was kind of a classic bookend of yep. <laughs> that the, the, you could almost feel it from looking at his scores that, you know, the what was on the line was really kind of starting to get to him, but he hasn't finished outside the top 25 in his last six events. And no. that's kind of been the key to his year. So he's been Mr. Consistency, but he, I think he also picked up two wins this season as yeah, well. So, yeah. One early. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So at one stage last night, and this is, this was, this is the sort of way you want these things to conclude. They're designed to be exciting right down to the wire. And at one stage with Sergio going sort of mad early, you had, you know, given ties you know, here and there. But at one stage you had Rose, Fleetwood and Garcia first, second, third in, in a roundabout way. So we got what we wanted. In the end, John Rahm prevails and wins the tournament. In terms of players, man or woman, that you want to get excited about and you want to watch play, here's this 23-year-old massive frame Spanish guy who it's all like so many of the Spaniards. It's out there for all to see, doesn't hold the emotions in check, you know, as well, maybe as some would like to see him do, but it doesn't seem to affect him, his, what he is able to produce. He's as exciting, I'll put to you, Al, as any player on the planet right now, John Rahm. I would agree. He's he's in the world top five now, yep. I think, after this week as well. I think he's just gone up to fifth in the world rankings. And um, again, two wins this season. John Rahm is the kind of player that you want to pay money to go and watch. Oh, absolutely. And you, and you go out there and you're just in awe. And that's you know something that is genuinely, truly special. And there are, even now, given the strength of the PGA Tour, there's only a couple of guys that can consistently turn on that kind of theatre and drama yep. and still perform, which is something that really is truly special. It is. Um, Austin Cook wins overnight the RSM Classic on the PGA Tour. His first tour victory wins by four. Another young American name that is in the mix. I mean, they have got... Hazy and I like to talk about the golden, hashtag golden era here in Australia. But if we're going to be honest, the depth of talent coming out of America at the moment is... It's it's staggering how many players under the age of thirty, and I haven't checked his birth date, so I don't know how old he is. <laughs> I think he's twenty four. There you actually, go. Yeah, it's it's, and you know the college system, and we spoke to Clates about this last week. He's not necessarily a great fan and advocate of the way it teaches people to play the game, but in terms of churning players out to play on the PJ Tour, at the very least, the 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 flood of American players who compete week in week out in America is. I'm always prepared to say unprecedented. It's pretty – it's almost like the the rise of women's golf in the last eight years in Asia, but they're doing it with the men's side in America. And I, I genuinely think they've got the formula right in the fact that they have their players playing so much competitive golf and there is such a depth of talent that people work out what they have to do to win. They forget a lot of 
the fundamentals. They don't worry about standing on the range and having perfect swings. Jordan Spieth is a fantastic example of that when, you know, Cameron McCormick, McCormick was asked, why didn't you get rid of his chicken wing, you know, at the top of his backswing and his right um, elbow flares out. Yeah, and he yeah. said, why, why would I get rid of it? It's such a functional golf swing and it works for him. Mm. And, and it's, I think we've spoken about it before on the on the podcast, but I think as a general rule in Australia, we work towards perfect and we're known for our ball striking. And it can almost be detrimental. Why don't you actually learn how to make a really repeatable action that is consistent? You have one consistent miss, so you actually rule out the other half of the fairway and then you play from there. And that's yeah. what a lot of American players have been doing over the last 15 years. And I think they're just getting more players into the system now and it's just churning them out. It is it is indeed. Jason Scribner is one that we've been waiting for for a while to salute. Hadn't won a tournament, I think I'm right in saying this, hadn't won a tournament since winning the Australian Junior Championship back in 2008. Hadn't won a tournament anywhere. I'm testing the memory here. <laughs> I, I, I'll stand to be corrected. But wins, not only wins, but wins emphatically at Twin Creeks, the New South Wales Open. Time on an event on the Australian Tour. Shoots 24 under. The only player in the field to shoot four rounds in the 60s. Wins by six. Had to see off that mid-round challenge from Lucas Herbert, who went birdie, eagle, 11-12 or 10-11, um, to get within three. But... I don't know how much of Scribner you've seen, but to my eye, Alison, he, he looks to be a player who's just got, once he gets over that built that, that little monkey off the back, can I compete and sh- can I win, he just looks like he's got everything that you need in all the right places and very, very well um, packaged golf game. He looks like he should be able to play competitively just about wherever he goes. Well, I think... Jason has, like you say, he's got all of the ingredients and whether or not it comes together is a different story. And that's, it's, it's across the board in professional sport, but in particular in golf that it's, you can be chipping well and then you can be hitting the ball well the next week and you can be putting well the next week, but whether or not they all come together at the, at the right time is, is very difficult to know, but he didn't finish in, he didn't finish inside. I think he won one top 20 in the last 10 weeks. Mm. And that included, I want to say, two or three miscuts as well. So it didn't, it wasn't obvious that this was going to happen for Jason. Yep. And um, you know, finishing with sixty six and sixty five to finish down the stretch, and, and kind of come a little bit out of nowhere, um, was probably a little advantageous for him. I think if he'd been in the spotlight, it might have been a little bit di- different story in the end. But you know, obviously that's all speculation. But um, yeah, just trying to. Trying to find something. It's the classic thing of trying to find something when you haven't had anything for a while in golf. And, um, yeah, you had a top five, I want to say, about 11 weeks ago, but mm. um, around about that yeah, <laughs> off the top I, of my I head. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, no, it's great to see. And it's it's really promising seeing someone in really in form coming into this week in particular where and the we, focus turns to Australian golf. Indeed, and that's a nice segue. He was going to play – he had planned to play Hong Kong – which, strangely, the European Tour finishes one week and it starts the next week. It can't give other tours, <laughs> i.e. ours, just a little bit of breathing space, maybe a two-week hiatus, maybe work extra hard on getting some you know, co-sanctioned events and really beefing this up, but that's a conversation for a different... But the, he was going to go to Hong Kong and play there. There are a bunch of other Australians playing up there. You can understand why. It's their livelihood and no criticisms for that, but Scrivener's decided to change his mind now and play in the Australian Open, which um, which is good for 
the local event. Um, speaking of which, uh, Hazy, who's going to join us live on the show in a moment, has done a couple of uh, pre-recorded file pieces for the show today. He's caught up with Trevor Hurd in the tournament director of the Australian Open to find out just how the conditions are up there in Sydney. We're standing on the side of the first fairway here at the Australian Golf Club. The course is good, isn't it? It looks magnificent. Yeah, it's excellent. It's uh, it's come up a lot sharper than what it was in uh, what it was in 2015. It's settled uh, settled very well because you know it was pretty new when we were here in 14 and 15. So it's coming a long way and it's as sharp as it's beautiful. So one of the knocks on the course is it's not a typical Australian venue. But I would say to you and to anyone else who criticises like that that it's just in the sharpest nick of any tournament course you could imagine. Yeah, it's it's um, it's awesome because the way they prepare this thing, that like even the fairways were verticut, not verticut, scarified, sorry, scarified, um, like four months ago and sanded. Now it's very rare, and to be able to cut these fairways at eight millimeters, unreal. It's unreal. There's not a lot of uh, golf clubs around the world that can cut at eight millimeters. This one is outstanding. And it just looks an absolute treat. From the minute you walk through the door, the white sand in the bunkers, the flowers around the place. Again, again not typically Australian, but just pristine. Yeah, and that's um, obviously, I think, you know, when Jack did this, uh, reworked this golf course, he also come across with a landscape plan. I think that might have been um, pretty important to them to have it the way he wanted it as well. So I, I see a bit of that in here. Yeah. So it's not just the course this week. It's It's... it's a great championship. We're up to our 102nd edition. Uh, I know you're very proud of it, and it's going from strength to strength, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's, it's, we keep using the word momentum. It's, you know, it's, it's grown a lot over the last five or six years, having the world's best players come down and play it. And again, we're lucky this year. We've got Jordan Spieth and Jason Day and, and a great bunch of young amateur players playing this year as well. So it's exciting. I think the golf course will deliver a top championship. The players are here. The weather forecast is good. Um, There'll be some wind, which will certainly test. There's not a lot of rough here because of the late spring we've had. We haven't been able to get too much rough up, but there's there's a ton of test here. What are the greens going to run out for most of the week? Well, it depends on the wind, Mark, but um, if, if we get 30K, 35K winds, we don't want to get anywhere above 11 and a half feet because some of these are pretty exposed and, you know, you just got to be careful and protect the investment and make sure it's playable. So if we get a north or a northeasterly wind, there's going to be par fives like the 14th that are going to be very gettable. Yeah. But then I know your favourite hole, probably the 16th, is just going to be a monster, isn't it? Well, 16, we've moved the tee forward because uh, one of the tees wasn't quite satisfactory. But it's going to play at 400, but that's straight into the teeth of the nor'easter, and you're quite right. Uh, it, it challenges every player, no matter how, whether you're a long drive or not. The angle of the green, come at it, we're going to take, we'll have some pins that are tied up the back over the bunkers. Uh, it's a good test, but it, it really, the other one, the other hole that goes into the wind at the same line is also the fifth, so that won't be, or might not be quite as reachable. Um, yesterday at the uh, New South Wales Open, the, the top of the leaderboard was absolutely jam-packed with kids under the age of 22, 23. Yeah. Um, everyone's noticing about Jason Day and Jordan Spieth being here, but you should come along and watch this from the perspective of the next generation too, shouldn't you? Oh, yeah. Look, there's a, there's a great next, let's call it the next wave of exciting young professionals up, just looming, just looming up there. Uh, Minwoo Lee, there's another, we've got young Dylan Perry, who was uh, runner-up in the British Amateur, they're playing. There's a lot of exciting young talent coming through, and it's great. It's great to see. And the, the swell is going to sort of all coming together at the top. The numbers are increasing, which is 
Normally we have one or two that are on the fringes, but we seem to have four or five now that are, that are right there. And of course, we've just got all our rookie rookie squad here again this week who are out there finding their way in the world of tour golf. So uh, that's exciting for them to come and play. And on the amateur side, um, mm-hmm. Takumi Kanaya from uh, Japan and uh, Charlie Ryder from the US and, of course, Yushin Lin from China. We've got them from all around the world. Yeah, we've got, we got a very international amateur field this week. And I'll tell you that they're all talent. Raw could, talent. Anything, do you think any of them could be there on a Sunday afternoon? Oh, I'll, tell you, I'll tell you, I had a look at that the young gentleman that won the Asian amateur, and you said the Japanese player from last week. Those guys, don't be surprised if they're not bouncing around that top ten come you know, the 14th hole on Sunday mm, you no, know, on the leaderboard. Yeah, they're extraordinary talents. Well, mate, we can't say congratulations until the last ball was hit on Sunday, but congrats on bringing it up the way it is, and uh, all thanks to the, the ground staff here at the Australian. Oh, awesome job. Phil Beal and his team have done an awesome job. They... they do anything we ask and you know hats off so hazy joining uh trevor hurden just to give us the paint the picture for what it looks like up there just before we get to break in hazy joins us live on the recording do you like the australian as a the look that the australian has it is a unique you know visual perspective that it offers from an australian golf course perspective Uh, well i think people have forgotten that it's it was the first australian open was held at the Australian, and it's the site of the most ever Australian Opens as well. So I think this is the twentieth year that that golf club has has held yeah. um, has held the event. But also, I think this year people will start understanding the vision that they've had for the golf course for the last really eight years when they've started putting um, a couple of different you know options out on the golf course. They've redone a lot of the surfaces, and this is when it's going to shine. It hasn't shone mm. really. It didn't so much in 2015 no, realistically, that's true. That's but fair. Yep. I feel like um, this year is going to be the real reward for the members of the golf club because they're the ones that play it week in, week out while these changes are happening. And this week is is the massive climax to that in terms of exactly how the good the golf course is going to look. And I know that. The superintendent, Phil Bill, I know that he's really excited about how it's come up. And I think um, once the guys get out there, they're just going to be, you know, glowing. I think they're going to love playing out there. It's going to be cool. Can't wait to get up there. Hazy's been out following Jason Day this morning. We'll hear from the regular co-host of Inside the Ropes after this short break. The Golf Australia website is now the place to go to look up your handicap and so much more. Whether you're out and about on your phone or in the office trying to avoid work, just go to golf.org.au and punch your golf link number into the box at the top of the homepage. Who knows, maybe that last round was just good enough to put you in single figures. While you're on the site, check out the daily golf results at your club, view our course index for up-to-date ratings, Read the latest golf news from home and abroad, listen to Australian golf podcasts and interviews, and watch video tournament highlights or tips to improve your game. It's everything a golf tragic could want. Visit golf.org.au today, the home of Australian golf. G'day, I'm Gareth Holden, and I love catching up with Inside the Rope. So we turn our focus purely now towards the Australian Open. We'll get our favourite Open memories uh, before we sort of finish it all up uh, for the day but Mark Hayes is generally with us in the studio, Alison Whitaker here of course today but he's already up at the Australian Golf Club uh, getting ready for the Open but he's been good enough to give us some of his time. Hello Hazy. Hello Murray, g'day Ellie, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm disappointed I'm not in the studio but to be honest with you it's not much, uh, not many places in Australia I'd rather be than on the middle of the Australian Open course. So we've just heard from you and Trevor, so we played, we played that 
Um, and that's mostly Trevor's ob- observations of how the course is coming up. You're, you've got the grass underneath your feet right now. To your eye, what's it looking like? I literally have. I mean, I'm talking to you from the middle of the first fairway. Um, and look, as I said to Trev, it does not look like an Australian course. I mean, it's like, there's no getting away from that. But I've never seen in, a, in my life a course looking better in Australia. I've never seen a course looking in better nick to host a tournament. And I'm not saying that it compares to some of the Sandbelt classics or anything like that. And the views aren't as good as New South Wales, for example. But the sand is white. The flowers are in bloom. The fairways are cut at eight mils. They're like an absolute carpet. And the greens are absolutely stunning. Brett Rumford's up there just shaking his head on the practice screen just in front of me and just cannot believe how well they're rolling and just says that club could be the best he's ever putted on. Wow. Be, be our eyes on the ground in terms of when you say it's not a quintessential Australian golf course. For those uh, for those people listening at home, what do you mean by that? You know, what are you actually looking at up there, Hazy? Well, I mean, it's hard to put in words, Ali, exactly what it is because there's still gum trees around and, and things like that that make it obviously Australian. But, you know, there's pine store underneath the trees. There's a lot, there are a lot of pines. There's a lot of non-native flowers. Um, the course is clearly cut. Uh, there's no like natural rolling hills. The sand is white. It's not that sort of um, sort of whitey grey colour that you might see at Royal Melbourne, for example. Um, it, it just doesn't look like an Australian course in terms of the, the the flora that's around, and it'll come up so much greener on television than you'd ever expect to see a sandbelt course. It, it looks like an American course on television, but underfoot, it's so much harder than those uh, dartboards they play on the US PGA Tour. So it wouldn't be an Australian Open if we and you talk to Trevor about you know the potential of the wind, but the weather in general, Hayes, it's never an Australian Open unless we sort of all become amateur weather forecasters. What's it look like for the Thursday through Sunday? Well, it's uh, the temperature's not going to be an issue at any stage during the week. Um, we're, we're dealing with mid twenties the whole time. Uh, the big testing wind on this course is the northwester, uh, northeaster rather. And that's what we're expecting to blow up, especially on Saturday. So I think um, maybe on Saturday at the moment, there's expected to be some pretty testing sort of uh, wind at times and maybe a bit of late rain. So, yes, we're going to get a weekly and annual dose of drama. Uh, I think the way this course is set up, if, if the guys here are in good nick get going, we, should, we could see some good scores if the wind doesn't get up. But once it gets up, there's going to be holes like the 16th in particular, just a long straight par four, but into the wind with very little uh, access to the pins if they put it on the right of the green, it's going to be a beast. Uh, and we won't see a score that's, you know, you know, off the charts win this tournament, that's for sure. You've walked around behind Jason Day this morning. He's, you know, I heard him, you know, on the ABC this week and talking about the year that he's had, and it hasn't been, for various reasons, the year that he would have liked to have had off the back of, you know, 2016. To your eye, um, his demeanour, his energy levels, the, the game... How did he look to you? Uh, he looked excited to be home. Um, he was actually just talking to me before, you know, just basically saying, oh, I need to come home more often, which I think was actually music. But not probably just my ears, but a lot of other people's uh, now that I've conveyed it. Uh, he loves being around the boys. You can tell all the guys who he grew up with, they're all coming over and talking to him. And, uh, he, in terms of his play, Andy, I didn't realise, to be honest, but he's actually been up in Queensland for four or five days a bit of a boys' trip, and he's been knocking around with his mates at the hills. Uh, he went out to Indrapilly and played, um, and just you know, just actually playing golf as if he was just with the mates as, as he normally would be. So he looks sharp, he looks focused, 
And he said, but he told me before that he'd been grinding on his short game in Ohio before he came uh, over to Asia uh, for the recent swing. So he's trying desperately, basically, to try and get a win on the board this year because it's been a pretty ordinary year by his lofty standards. Uh, I, I think he's... Uh, I wasn't sure, to be honest, what we were going to see, but having walked around with him, I'm convinced that he's here to try and win. And does it, do you get a sense for him, Hazy, beyond you know what he says... Um, because he, you know, there would be an element of him that there's the right thing to say. But do you get a sense for from him about, you know, how important it would be for him to win this tournament? Yes, I do. And he, he was he was talking to me, and he wasn't talking to masses. There was okay. no taping going on. It was it was him talking. Um, he was genuinely happy to be home. Um, he, he was actually, you know, saying, oh, "I need to be here more often. I need to just have a place in Australia." So. I, it makes me come home more often and, and live all this stuff because, you know, my, my wife and family would love this sort of stuff. And that always just warms your heart when you see someone in position say that. Uh, in terms of the tournament, there's no doubt he wants to win this. Uh, he knows. He's got a really keen sense of golfing history and he knows what it means to have his name on that Stonehaven Cup. So oh, I'm pleasantly surprised, put it that way, about how focused he was uh, on doing something good here this week. No, no. We there isn't. We're talking about Jason Scribner before, Al and I, and the fact that he's decided to play the Open instead of going up to Hong Kong, which I think might have been his original plan. That changes because he you know, does what he does in the New South Wales Open, and yeah, you know, we're thankful of that. But the conversation always turns to a degree about the Australian players that aren't here, and I'm not going to ask you curly ones about um, you know why they aren't and the whys and wherefores. How how prevalent is that conversation? Is are we ever going to get to a position where we get the cream of Australian golf making this, you know, an absolute non-negotiable on their calendar? Will it ever get to the point where that is the case? I'll probably need to talk to you just as me rather than with my yep. professional cap on, if that's okay. So please, anyone listening, don't hang me for this. But you know, we want to get to the point where it's a the basis of the tournament is every Australian player who's ever grown up wanting to hold this trophy comes, and that's the baseline. If we can get more, then well and good. But we shouldn't have to worry about what Adam Scott's doing, what Jason Day's doing. We should just know. And what I can tell you, I mean, we might get to that track. It's a, probably a, an industry conversation more than just a Golf Australia thing because I think we all have to have our oars rowing in the same direction, if you know what I mean. Yep. Uh, what I can tell you from my own personal experience is um, we desperately need to limit the influence some of the managers have and we definitely, definitely need to uh, encourage this next generation. Uh, and I'm walking around now with Jake McLeod. I'm, you know, we're going to see Travis Smythe making his second professional event this week. And these sort of guys are the ones who are absolutely hell-bent. And you, as I talk to them, they all, to a man, say, we'll be here every year. This is the one we want to win. And I know that that's easy to sort of fob away. But all the big gun, the guys that we hope are big guns, everyone says, we'll be back here. We don't need player appearance fees. We need to come back and win this tournament for what it is and keep it going in the right direction. So, you know, I'm always glass half full, rose-coloured glasses, whatever you want to say. But I, I'm... I'm confident that the next generation will play for a lot less, put it that way, and we won't be beholden to the financial demands of other players because what happens here is Jason Day 
wants fundamentally wants to play the Australian Open. But if he doesn't put up his um, or his manager doesn't put his hand up for the fee that he's entitled to on a, on a global basis by the you know the, mm. the the money that everyone else has paid according to their skills, his manager thinks he's he's giving it away and he's diminishing the overall drawing power of his player. And you know we've got to work through that. That's just not fair for a tournament that doesn't have a six million dollar prize purse because we need every event we can to go towards that prize pool and and to have the players come here knowing that Gary Players won this seven times, exactly. Jack Nicholas six, and, and so on down the line. Because this is a tournament. This is the fourth or fifth oldest tournament in the world, Andy, Ali. Like, it's, you know, you should want to win this because every good player who's ever walked has tried their hardest to win it. Not just because oh, I can get $2 million and go on a holiday to Fiji on the way down. That's a disgrace. Well, it started in 1904. Right. It's got a, a ton of history, and especially, you know, you look down the list and you've got... Peter Thompson, obviously Gary Player, but so many more iconic names that have won it multiple times. And the reality of what has happened with, you know, with Australian golf in particular, and you look back to 10 years ago when it was a real pinnacle um, of the year was turning on, you know, for the for the Masters at Huntingdale and the Australian Open, that kind of thing. And, and the world golf has become such a big global mm. market that, you know, I think guys, you, it's so easy to get swept up in that and get swept up in the business of it all. But essentially, um, it's never been a question. It was never a question for me. That was the number one tournament I ever wanted to win was the Australian Open. Um, never came close. Yeah. <laughs> Led a, quite a few times, but, you know, was never in the mix on a Sunday. And it, the reality is, um, why don't we put, you know, these guys are getting six figures to come back. Uh, yeah. Debatedly, Jordan might even be getting seven. Mm. Given that it's, I think, $1.25 million purse, the winner gets $225,000 this year. Why not put those appearance fees back into the development, build Australian golf again, and just get a grip? <laughs> well, I'm comfortable with the fact that we have to play international players because, you know, how, how else are we going to get a, a, a guy or a girl away from their Thanksgiving dinner um, and come out in their three weeks that the PGA Tour so graciously offers them every year yeah. to, come, and, to yeah. come, to, come to the other side of the world, you know, on a 15-hour plane flight. I, I get that we have to play, pay other international players. What I don't get is having to pay the Australian players. And, you know, that's something we need to work through. And that next generation, if they're true to their word, which I'm sure they are because they're outstanding young men, they're going to be here hell or high water. And, and, and we should point out, because none of us sitting here are potting, we're not potting, like, like the two Olympians... They're playing in Hong Kong this week because that's their, that's their job. That's their office. Their office is the European Tour. You know, Marcus Fraser and Scotty Hend. I, I don't know Scotty Hend. I know Marcus Fraser pretty well. Fraser would love to be playing in the Australian Open. It, there's, there'd be a bit of his heart that is not feeling quite right, as much as he loves the tournament up there because the course suits him. But there'd, there'd be a bit of him that would be wanting to play in the Australian Open. Like That's the tournament that he would want to play in. And yet for... So many reasons, you know, the, the scheduling of a, a beast like the European Tour, um, you know, which finish one week and starts the next week, which is a bit of a joke, uh, doesn't really give these guys that much wriggle room. One of the one of the things that Australian golf has to do is is decide whether we're getting in bed fully with the European Tour because it, it's pointless to have a tournament that we rate well, not, not we that was for a long time rated the fifth major in the world struggling in comparison to a Hong Kong Open, mm. you know, a, a recent tournament by historic standards, just because it's got more money 
and and the European Tour cards are on offer. I mean, it's a hard position for the Australian Open to be in that the PGA Championship next week, the Australian PGA, another time-honoured event, has got more pull in some instances because of the, the potential to win in the European Tour cards than the Australian Open, which is the trophy you want on your on your mantelpiece as the young Australian golfer, a golfer anyhow. So we are in a catch-22, and we've got to think about it really seriously and really quickly in terms of how it could be in the coming years, that's for sure. Mate, we'll be seeing you up there. Uh, we'll let you get back to you going. I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm going to be really rude and he's in the middle of practising, but I'm going to walk up to Travis Smythe here on the second green. Really good example of what we were just talking about. And he's with his coach, Dean Kinney, here at the moment. Travis, <laughs> we're on air long. Um, I'm going to ask Travis Smythe, Andy Marr, and Ali Whitaker here, mate, to me about the importance of this tournament in the future and whether you'd come back and play without a money in years to come once you want a master's. What do you say to that? 100% I would. I'd, I'd definitely come back. You know, so close to home, the support would be amazing for me. But yeah, anywhere in Australia, you know, I'd, I'd love to play and I think it would be the right thing to do to, to give back to Golf Australia, you know, when they've done so much for me growing up. Do you feel that's common among the entire locker room? Um, I'd say so, yeah. Us younger sort of generate, like, you know, Jason Days and Adam Scott, you know, they're still kind of young, but yeah. You know, my age, my era, kind of, I, I could say. Um, but, you know, Curtis Luxon, I, I reckon we'll be doing the same thing, sure. Thanks, Travis. Uh, that's, that's as good as I can get for you. But no, that's magnificent. <laughs> Straight that, from the horse's mouth, uh, Hazy. That is gold. No, no, but, and, and look, you know, you, you don't hold... No one's going to hold the, the kid to that. That's what he thinks, says now. And, you know, he's obviously committed and, you know, feels... Not compelled is completely the wrong word. It's something that he wants to do. This is what he wants to do. Now, circumstance for Travis Smythe might change down the track, but to hear him say that, you two, um, is music to the ears. You know, it sounds like it's coming from the bottom of his heart when he says that. It absolutely is. His eyes, you know, they're, they're steely, they're focused. And that's the question when it's, you know, once you've won a Masters. Yeah. He, you know, I, I'm not saying to him, you know, if you've, battles his way around the Australian tour for the next 10 years, will you come and play for free? Because that's clearly not going to be an alternative for him to do anything but that. But he knows right now in his heart that even with a major championship in tow, that's his mission, to come back and support Australian golf. And to what you guys have been asking me, that's the best possible answer I could give you. Well, all of that, you know, once the first ball gets struck, uh, all of that will be forgotten come, you know, our time Thursday morning. Uh, we can't wait to see you up there on Wednesday, Hazy, and um, we'll have a chat about it when when we do the big debrief next week. Perfect. Thanks, guys. Mark Hayes, uh, it, that's the one thing for me, Al, that, um, that the two Olympians, the two guys that carried the crest are elsewhere. They're not here, and I can't imagine that either of them, having represented the country at Olympic Games, wouldn't that wouldn't be a difficult decision for them to come to. I'm going to bypass our National Open. Neither of them have won it. They could both be contenders without any shadow of a doubt. Um, but they've got to go and play somewhere else because they've got a card on the line because they want to make a flying start to the season on a course that certainly suits one of them particularly. Well, I'm going to say it's also it's also a factor of field strength as well and the reality is for a lot of Australian players, a lot of players worldwide, um, everyone's getting better at golf as we mm. go along. So it is getting harder to be competitive. So if you see an opportunity where the field strength is low, 
that is one of maybe five, if that, maybe three opportunities you're going to get in a weak field. And given the fact that a lot of, in particular the Australian stars on the European tour, a lot of the guys are going home and they're taking a moment to themselves after the crescendo that was last week. Spot on. So, you know, I I do think that in terms of managing their chances, they saw it was a bigger chance for them to make a really good start to 2018. They've done that and you can't really blame them for that. Not at all. But it's just, they would be kicking themselves, missing it, and it will be a serious case of FOMO for them. They're going to be up in (laughs) Hong Kong. And it's been too me- <laughs> long since we've had FOMO mentioned on this podcast. It's taken way too long. Yeah, fear of missing out is going to be at an all-time high for both Scott and, and Marcus next yeah. week. But, you know, obviously, no matter where they are in the world, we wish them luck. We wish they were here. We wish we had every Australian flag on that leaderboard um, in contention next week. And hopefully we'll see that with the guys that are there at the Australian. We'll get a quick break out. I come back with some of our uh, favourite Australian Open memories before we wrap up, uh, wrap up another edition of Inside the Ropes. Hi, this is Sherelle McMahon. Swing Fit is the fun, healthy, social way for women to get started in golf. You'll learn the basics of the golf swing and how to putt over a six-week program and get your whole body moving through yoga and Pilates-style exercises. You don't need any golf knowledge or equipment. Simply turn up in comfy clothing and get started. You'll be surrounded by like-minded people and receive constant support. So get outdoors, meet new friends and learn a sport that you can play for the rest of your life. To find a program Near you, visit swingfit.com.au. G'day guys, I'm Scott Hand. I'm around the world playing golf everywhere, but when I can, I'll publish the Inside the Ropes. So just to wrap up uh, the edition of Inside the Ropes today, uh, we've got a couple of great memories from the Australian Open from regular contributors to this uh, fine, fine podcast we're going to share with you. I'm sure you've all got your own favourite memories of Australian Open's past, and it'll be wrong of us not to speak to the man who's played I've got no idea how many of these he played in. Mike Clayton, who's a regular here, of course, on Inside the Ropes. Hello, Clates. Sorry, how's it? How many did you play in? Do you know? No idea. I played everyone from 78 to 97, and then I played one at Moon Links. So that's close to 20. Just a really quick yeah. mathematics yeah. in my brain. So that's close enough to yeah. 20. Uh, one that but just sort of jumps out. Is there, is there an Open that you've either seen or played in yourself that you remember more distinctly or kind of acutely than any other? I was going to say, well, my, my, I remember the first one I went to. I remember we were talking about when we spoke to Gary Player last week. I remember distinctly like, with my mate, running down, like Gary Player was my hero. I used to mark my practice balls with GP because <laughs> the assistant front metro, Mel Humphreys, used to mark his balls AP for Arnold Palmer. So mine were GP. So Gary's players coming to Melbourne, I can't believe it. So we run down the first hole, watch him play the first hole, and then we get to the second tee. And he spoke to us and said, you guys enjoying the golf? You know, like, like you boys enjoying the golf? He actually like, spoke to like, you. He spoke to me. I couldn't <laughs> believe it. It was like, so that was such a, you know, so, and I couldn't believe how you could play in front of so many people and not be just completely terrified by the whole thing. It's like, how the hell do these guys play in front of all these people? It was like, it was so like, for a 12-year-old kid, it was kind of awe-inspiring, really. So I remember watching all that round. Guys autograph after the round and, so that was kind of what do you remember of him? What do you, what do you remember of the kind of visual? I remember the first time I saw Craig Norman, and I'll never forget what that kind of looked like in my brain. What do you, um, what do you, is there something you remember about the way player looked or carried himself? Well, he was a superstar, so superstars always sort of carry themselves pretty impressively. But yeah. no, he just, I remember he had a beautiful, I assume it was cashmere, but beautiful roll neck, um, fawn coloured jumper with a matching pair of pants and 
you know, he had the flashbag and the fancy clubs, and he was the best player. He was, he was at that point probably the second best player in the world because Nicholas was the best player in the world for his whole career, basically. But, you know, just watching a superstar play golf was amazing, really, to me. I just thought it was incredible. Um, and apart from that, I mean, I remember all the ones. I mean, there was a funny memory. I played with Tom Watson at Royal Melbourne in 1984, Bob Shearer and I. A guy called John Ellison, who was the secretary at the Australian, was the starter. The National Panasonic was sponsoring it. So he had the red jacket, the white pants, and he had the, he was a perfect English gent. He had a grey hair, the grey moustache, flashes of, flashes of, well, I was going to say two by wash, but like the opposite, he was a flashes of Rolls Royce. <laughs> that's so much out, better, yes. Yeah. So he walked out in the first seat. I'm like playing with, you know, I'm kind of nervous playing with, I was nervous enough playing with Bob Shearer, let alone Tom Watson. Anyway, he walks out in the first seat. He said, ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Australia the five-time British Open champion, Peter Watson. <laughs> <laughs> and what did he say? He, he had no, well, because he's so Australians are so used to saying five-time British Open champion Peter Thompson. So he just said five-time British Open champion Peter Watson, and he had no idea what he said. And the crowd like cracks up. It was a circle, and then Watson just smashes down. He, Watson, he buried the first three holes. Amazing, he, played, he and, and won that year. Eighty-four. Eighty-four, yeah. Yeah, that's that's my favourite. Me- I've got two great memories. I've got Bob Stanton. This is a trivia question. Bob Stanton's runner-up. That yeah. year, I remember it was a really fast, warm, bouncy royal that year, wasn't it? Like it was a yeah. really warm. And Bob Stanton came from nowhere, Clates. Like no one had heard of this guy, the big Mo, and he looked like a Hollywood actor. And people are trying to. Heard of him. No one had heard of him. He was a great player in the 60s. He, he beat Arnold Palmer when he was 19 in the Dunlop at. Australian, right where I am now. He beat Palmer here. Yeah, but kids, like I was like 15 at the time or something, and kids my age had never heard of Bob Stamp. Like, he sort of, where's this guy come from? He was like Greg Norman before Greg Norman, but it never quite worked out for him. But he was a great player. So what happened to him? He went to America. The first year in America, he made the top 60. I was like a 21-year-old. I mean, amazing. Then he played through it three or four more years and got divorced and just got messy, I think. And he kind of quit and didn't play for a long time. Then he... He came back and played that summer, missed every cut, and then shot 67 the last round that day, and Watson, Watson made a great two-putt the last time to beat him by one. Do you remember him? Do you remember, are you old enough to remember Bob Stanton? No. You're shaking your head. I was you're, born in 85. Oh, you're born in 85. <laughs> are you kidding me? You're born in 85? You're a baby. Stanton, I mean, Google Bob Stanton. I mean, Bob won the Dunlop. He won the PGA. I mean, he was a I'm sure he won the Australian PGA, but he was a tremendous player. Great right. swing. Ripped it. Clates, I want to get you to talk a little bit about 93 because that was the closest you ever came to winning and Brad Faxon walked away with the trophy by, I think it was two yeah. shots. But talk to us about what what the experience is like of being in the hunt in your National Open. Well, I kind of, I, I was sort of in the hunt, not quite really, but um, I was playing well. Squirrel was coming for me. He came for Ogilvy when he won the US Open, so I had a great caddy. I knew the course, obviously. And I played well the last day. I shot 66 the last day. But in fairness, I buried the last two holes. And Faxon made a 40-footer for three at 17 then made an eight-footer for part of the last. So it, it would have been pretty lucky to sneak, you know, to even get in a playoff with him, really. In, in fairness, I was ne- I never really had a putt. To, I, I had a putt in the last hole. I knew if I hold it, I had some sort of chance. But in, in, in fairness, it was, it was about as close as I got. But it wasn't. You know, there were plenty of folks who got closer than that. Tournament, obviously. You know, I'd played not very well that year, and I figured something out sort of by September that year. I played well the last sort of 
six or eight weeks in Europe, and then I played volleyball that summer. So it was it, it was fun. Last one before we let you go. Did it mean? I mean, you know, you're a professional and you're pragmatic, but did this tournament mean a little bit more to you than others? Oh yeah, it was, I mean, I was never going to win a major, so the biggest thing I could have won was the Australian Open, really. And I got, I mean, that year that Watson won '84, I was a shot behind yeah. the last day, shot '76, which was a crappy round. Um, when I, you know, I would, I think '70 would have won, so it wasn't. I mean, it was a hard day, but it wasn't that hard. But um, yeah, it was kind of a. So I, um, I was just thinking, I won the amateur in 78, then I carried for, I didn't qualify the next year, and I carried for John Kelly when he won. And then I finished second in the Open, and I'm carrying for Curtis Luck in the Open. Week. So I need to, need to click, win the Australian Open as a caddy. That would be pretty Shorts? Good. Double. No shorts. Disappointing. When you, no shorts over 60, you know the rules. Come on. You know <laughs> Come on, mate. No good. On. It's going to be humid. It's going to be yeah. sweaty. The last thing you need are long pants in those conditions. I'll be fine, mate. Right, we'll see you up there. You're coming up? I am. Yeah, Al and I are both heading up on Wednesday. Up for the radio. Yeah, we'll see you then. Okay. Well, the course looks... I saw a friend of mine who's a member here. I said, how's the course? He said, dressed up. <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, you can take it how you... How you right. well, well, the Australians, of course, that suits being dressed up as opposed to Kingston Heath, which Bill Corler would describe as scruffy. So there are two sorts of golf courses. Courses that, Like, I would say Augusta was a course that's best dressed up, but Pine Valley and Kingston are the courses that are best left off scruffy. So they're, they're, they're just... One's not better than the other, they're just different. So the Australians, the course looks great when it's dressed up. Well, that's a beautiful, beautiful... It was a perfect, it was a perfect description of the course this week. A beautiful way to leave it. We'll see you up there right. later in the week. Thanks, Good on you. Thanks. Bye, bye, bye. Cl- Mike Clayton joining us uh, regular on the show. Scruffy and dressed up. <laughs> What's your? I prefer a scruffy golf course. I think as Aussies, we, we love underdogs. We love scruff. We like scruff, right? <laughs> to be fair. But having said that, there's something that really gives you a sense of occasion when you rock up to a golf course and it is in pristine condition. The, yep. there, it really does raise the bar a little bit. So the Australian obviously has its tucks on this week. The, sen- the sense of an event. It feels like it's a good event. It feels like a good a good event, golf club, golf course. The Australian when you walk in there, it does. Some of the you can walk into some courses. They're so vast that they you, you lose a bit of that sense of theatre. Augusta gives it to you in spades when you walk in there. Every ounce of atmosphere gets captured in the. And it feels a bit like that at the Australian. It's got a bit of. It's got a. Royal Sydney's got a bit of that about it as well. It feels like it gets all locked in there and captured where you can go to kind of New South Wales and you get out the back there and you feel like you're a million miles away from anything, you know. <laughs> but um, but I like scruffy and dressed up's kind of nice. I'll get your thoughts on your favourite in a moment. Hazy, or we've already spoken to live, he wanted to have his favourite Australian Open memory as part of this as well, as did we, and he sent through this a little earlier. Uh, my favourite memories of this tournament go back a long way. I've been drawn to it for a long time. I think my first time was uh, at Victoria, I want to say 1981, and I just remember being blown away as a young boy. I think I was probably nine or ten. Uh, just how high Greg Norman hit the ball, and it stayed with me for the rest of my life. Uh, just fascinating. I, I, I then, I suppose, was at Victoria to watch the famous 54-hole tournament, and then down at Moona to watch it played in the sideways rain and the mud in the car parks, and both those have indelible marks. But my favourite Australian Open is the 2011 Australian Open, where all the President's Cup was here. Uh, the whole field, just chock-a-block. Everywhere you looked, there were stars. Um, 
Jared Lyle led on the first day with the 65. That was awesome. Uh, I remember Adam Scott's albatross on the eighth at the Lakes. And then I remember one of my favourite players, Greg Chalmers, holding off the world-class field. I just remember that just seemed like tens of thousands of people on every fairway, especially watching Tiger Woods uh, charge late. But watching Greg Chalmers hold off the field for his second Australian Open title um, just will stick with me forever. And, you know, just one of the great blokes doing it against um, a world-class field in a tournament that means the world to him. And he was so emotional, and that was just fantastic. Anyway... We'll, uh, we'll paint another memory this week. Cheers. G'day, I'm my golf ambassador, Jason Day. I'm really excited to be an ambassador for my golf, Australian Golf's National Junior Program, jointly run by Golf Australia and the PGA. My golf is every Aussie kid's first step on their golfing pathway. It's all about teaching children the basic skills of golf in a safe and healthy environment, and just as importantly, about the life skills that golf can teach you that distinguish our sport from the rest. Remember to visit mygolf.org.au for more information. G'day, I'm Cameron Smith. I'm not as home as often as I'd like, but I can keep up with all the Australian golf on Inside the Road. What about you, Al? Is there one or a couple of Oz Open memories that, in your very brief time on planet Earth, having been born in 1985, <laughs> you whippet of a thing, um, you can remember? I, well, I have a lot of memories because yeah. I grew up literally glued to Australian golf and um, and even at that I was the person that set the 3am alarms to watch the majors and yeah. I switched on the kettle and dad got the, the Duna cover so um, but huge fan obviously um, getting into it myself but um, looking back 2013 Rory and Adam Scott anytime you have those two as a one-two punch at Royal Sydney that's always going to be a great finish um, I really loved the playoff last year yeah. I, think, I think it had a lot of drama that final nine holes in particular in, in 2016 at Royal Sydney with you know you needed a graph to to chart what was happening and the momentum changes on that final nine holes and then um you know the cumulative kind of crescendo of of the playoff and having mm. someone like Ash Hall in there uh, you know who was ready to hang up the clubs essentially at the time he was really beaten down by golf uh, up against Cam Smith one of the young guns coming through and then Jordan Spieth so it really had um, a little bit of everything which I love but my my most vivid memory is actually I was sitting in an exam room in 2002. I think it was one of my VCE exams and uh, a person who's going to remain nameless because he's still a teacher (laughs) came over and said, did you hear what happened? In the middle of one of my exams, he said, did you hear what happened at Vic today? Because obviously I'm a Vic Golf Club member. Did you hear what happened? I said, no, I didn't. He goes, the play's been called off. And I'm sitting there with my pen in my hand thinking about what was happening in the golf when I'm like, hang on, wait, I'm in an exam, I need to finish this, and then go and catch up with the news after. But that moment was such an interesting time in women's, in men's golf and Australian golf in particular. But, um, yeah, that's probably my most vivid moment, oddly enough, being in an exam. But uh, obviously, <laughs> um, you know, we're kind of spot for choice, aren't we, with this Australian yeah. Open? Yeah. It's incredible. It dishes it up. Uh, to, do you remember, oh, you may not remember, straight off the top, but I was, I was again, lucky enough to beat New South Wales in 2009. The weather was horrific. It was a late start on the Thursday. There was all sorts of, you know, controversy about should they be playing or not. Uh, Stewie Appleby's first two rounds on the wrong side of the draw were unbelievable. Like, you just can't believe how well this guy played um, to be in contention, um, given the weather that he had to contend with. But 
Adam Scott wins it that year, wins it by five. It was a real breakthrough win for him. He really wanted to win the Australian Open. And I was lucky enough to interview him pretty much as he walked off the 18th green. And if you, you can go and see it on YouTube. If you ever want to see what um, your National Open can mean to a guy who was already a global superstar, you know, Scotty, it's it's written all over his face. It's just the beam and the smile and the joy. And he's won so many other tournaments around the world. He's always happy, but... You don't quite see that. You saw it at Augusta, no doubt. But um, that that just captured exactly what it means for a young Australian to win his National Open. Uh, even a guy like him who'd won all over the world by the time he got there in 2009. Um, yeah, that was really refreshing to see that it wasn't about the money and it wasn't about world golf ranking points and it wasn't about majors. It was about winning that tournament, which he'd grown up like you and I and so many others watching as a kid. And it was good to see and good to be close to. Yeah, those moments are quite special in Mm. a career of someone that has been very special to Australian golf as well. So I'm glad you were there. I'm I'm sad I wasn't actually to see it. Very lucky. It it puts the hairs up on on the back of your neck, those kind of moments. They really do. And hopefully we get another one of them uh, come Sunday afternoon. You'll be there, Seven. Good luck with it all. It's a fantastic acquisition to there. You are a fantastic acquisition to there. Commentary team, so have fun up there with those lunatics. Stick to G Dodd. He'll try and get some fine, fancy South African red wine into you at some stage at some point and have you pay for the bill, but just stick clear. I'll, I'll behave myself. Good. I think I'll, I'll be spending too much time just you know, looking at the golf course and just taking it all in. Come out with us instead because we're real low-rent operators. We'll just have a couple of quiet beers and that'll be it for us. Thanks for being part of it today. Alison Whitaker. It is fun. Good always, to be here. Always great to talk golf with you. Hopefully you've enjoyed it as much as we have. Again, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, we'll see you next week for a full wrap of uh, the 2017 Australian Open.